0: episode 170 of gi joeberg a very very special edition you know my voice i'm steve but i'm joined by fellow Playmotion video creators troy hey troy hey party people and for his first time on the gi joeberg podcast the new kid on the block it's
1: cody <laughs> hello gi joe what's going on
0: A way of introduction. Troy, if people don't know this by now, you're responsible for a slew of videos to this point. Give us your resume.
2: Okay, I'll start almost a year ago uh, with uh, Blood in the Water. You shot that episode and I was like, I th- going into it, you were doing these really long five-part episodes and, and I was like, how can you do so much and so long? And then you just went camping and did Blood in the Water. And I was like, you know what? Let me do an action scene ahead of that as a prequel to see if I can even do it. So it started with Blood in the Water, then Clairvoyance, and then Clairvoyance led into By Dawn's Early Light. And also between Clairvoyance and By Dawn's Early Light were a few commercials inspired <laughs> by Paul, <laughs> little commercial spoofs. And then we just finished up uh, Can You See? that streams about a month ago
0: outstanding and to date we haven't uh, been able to chat about that on a podcast so this is a great little catch-all but most recently cody has stepped into the ring big time with a epic 53 minute video which premiered on G.I. Burg last weekend. Uh, anyone who's not familiar with these videos and listening to this podcast, I caution you. <laughs> there may be spoilers, there may be uh, information disclosed here that would be far more effective if you had watched them first and then listened to the podcast second. So if you haven't seen The Secret Machine or any of Troy's videos, I think that you should pause this podcast now, head over to the G.I. Burg YouTube channel and give him a spin. It's well worth your time. Any G.I. Joe fan or any toy fan in general will be very, very pleasantly entertained. But yeah, Cody, give me some info. Like, what inspired you? What finally broke the camel's back and said, I'm going to do this. And not just do this, but do this extremely well with a very (laughs) in-depth storyline and a great sense of attention to detail.
1: Well, uh, Troy mentioned he had seen... Uh, blood in the water, and thought, "Man, I can do this." And it, it was kind of the same for me, but I was re- I was very attracted to that story, and I, and I felt like I was just seeing the point of the needle of what could be. And and I'm someone who likes absolutes. I want to know things, and I wanted to know why was Ricando in the jungle, and uh, what. Well, <laughs> was on that microfilm and, and what happened what happened prior and what happened after. And I I kind of uh paddled that boat to, to my own conclusions. And uh I don't know, that's that's kind of what led me there. And and I give myself something something you having this channel and having to run it and and put out content, I, I think your time Maybe pressured. You're like, man, I got to get something out. I give myself the benefit of time, <laughs> which was nearly uh, almost a year, it seems like, and uh, it was a very arguous task to to put this secret machine together. A lot of it was, you know, how do I make this make sense? Because I had ideas, loose ideas of of what I wanted to do and and what I knew would what I thought would happen, you know. I thought there would be a reaction from from the team. You know, man, what happened to Rakondo? Well, we got to strike back. We got to answer back to this. And uh, we got to find out what's going on. And I don't know. That's, that kind, that's kind of what loosely motivated me.
0: Mm, the thirst for answers.
1: <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> Blood in the Water, um, it was, you know, it's just um uh, Rakondo in Major Blood but it was epic i felt uh on on a small scale the the relationship between these two characters and, and i don't know it really it really spoke to me and the the character Rakondo uh i really get behind as well i think he's just a a cool dude i i felt like i've met some rakondos just older rougher rugged type guys you know uh, over the years, and uh, seeing him in that light, seeing him there in his element uh, in the jungle with major blood, it, it was really, uh, it was cool, and I wanted more of it, you know?
0: <laughs> and you gave it to us, buddy. Excellent, excellent. And and we all benefit
2: from that curiosity. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs>
0: At its very origin, I, I have a confession to make. Uh, the reason I took that action figure with me on a camping trip uh, and Blood mm-hmm. was because I hadn't really connected with either of them. Like, in mm-hmm. all my years of being acquainted with G.I. Joe and it being the sort of the biggest fan pursuit of my life and having a, an almost kind of, you know, the, the G.I. Joe pantheon of characters all felt like close friends of mine, I'd say... Right. Major Blood and Recondo were the guys on the fringes, on the outskirts of the room, you know, that I didn't really right. have much to say to. But mm-hmm. through the process of shooting something around them, they've become very, very near and dear to my heart. And you've run with that magnificently. Like, they are becoming <laughs> more and more fleshed out and three-dimensional And that's exciting because it just goes to show the depth of roster that G.I. Joe has. It just has like hundreds of characters, each of them with stories to tell. And I guess it's the joy of fan content that we are in a position to tell those stories. We're not hamstrung by the corporate minds that need every story to involve Duke, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Cobra Commander, Destro, Baroness. Right.
2: Mm. Yeah, it, in my opinion, any Joe on the roster can hold its own movie. I think they're just that deep and that well-fleshed out that you can make a feature about anyone. Precisely. But that's also cool. It's like, you know, you've got your popular ones, but then you have, uh, like, I was using Crazy Legs, and Crazy Legs was not my favorite, but <laughs> he's grown on me. <laughs> and it just kind of, I just needed a guy to jump out of a plane. He fit the profile. He's 87. Let him go. Troy,
0: I I would hazard a guess that no one in fandom or in sort of the the, the sort of popular media G.I. Joe creators have ever shown as much spotlight and as much care and love for Crazy
2: Legs as you have. And it's in the comments (laughs) that people are saying, oh, good to see Crazy Legs getting some action. So there are people who love him. And, you know, it's like we serve. We serve all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. So hats off to you too, sir.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. You know, you were talking about how you felt about Ricando, and being a kid of '85, being this is when I was born, um, G.I. Joe didn't really enter my realm in, until I was about five years old. So, Ricando was well off the shelves by the time you know by then, um, and sadly
0: didn't get much of a, a follow up version. Unless you're going to count Tiger Force with the the Tiger Fly? Yes. He was kind of one of the forgotten guys. That was the
1: version of Rokondo I had, Mm. was the Tiger Force version. But I always wanted that uh, Jungle V1, Uh, and it wasn't until the last Jokon that I got my very first version one, Rikondo, in the the big tubs, the big loose bins of G.I. Joe's that (laughs) you could sift through, you know.
0: Cody, I dream about those tubs to this day. Five dollar
1: Joe's. (laughs) Five dollar Joe's. (laughs) Uh, Fantastic. Uh, Filled to the brim. I mean, there were several. I mean, you know, and it brought me back to uh, being a kid of... uh, being born in 85, that's how I got a lot of my 80s Joes was secondhand at flea markets at uh, antique malls or, or, or whatnot, and they'd be all lined up on a table, you know, and you would you would look at these characters and, you know, characters you've never seen before, or at least that was in my case. You know, I had no idea who some of these G.I. Joes were lined up on the table because, you know, if they weren't on the cartoon or, uh, I, I didn't necessarily get my hands on the comics. I had no idea who some of these cats were, you know. Uh, and that kind of it brought back that feeling that that uh, being at JoeCon and seeing these tubs of of, of just uh, excitement, you know, digging your hands through hundreds and hundreds of loose figures. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, tell me about it. Gee whiz. <laughs> Flicking the scripts back to the secret machine. Yeah, let's
1: talk about the
0: secret machine. You, yeah. <laughs> you broke the mold, buddy. I know that I always liked to start my play motion videos with a cold open. Uh, and that's something that's... Mm. Uh, I mean, it's a style choice, but I suppose it also avoids having to create an opening sequence which wasn't necessarily going to be utilized in the actual production proper, so it added a layer of work. But you went with a different approach. Right. You went with a very hot open and a title sequence. <laughs> right. So it immediately keys the viewer into the fact that this is like an episode of a, an ongoing series. Nice, right. nice work. And so many visual effect techniques being used in it. Now, I... Shoot, I do everything in camera. I do not know a thing about visual effects. So maybe you and Troy can talk me through some of the stuff that you utilized in that sequence because it is
2: stunning. And the the one well, thing that I picked up on, Cody, that I really loved is you had the G.I. Joe written across the screen. And then you did a slow fade into the G.I. Joe logo on the helicopter. And I thought, OK, that's cool. <laughs> so it just kind of it kind of flew right into it, kind of very seamless. So kudos for that.
1: Right, and that was something I worked and worked on just that, what three or four second clips for a, uh, a ridiculous amount of time, and I still never was quite. I wanted the color to fade to the same color green as the dragonfly, to where it was almost unnoticeable that that something had changed, you know, until the dragonfly pulled away. Mm. But uh, I never, I never just could quite get done what I wanted to get done there, but. It was uh, effective, nonetheless.
0: Yeah, your vision is clear to the viewer. I mean, we're all working with the tools we've got, which can sometimes be very rudimentary. So you know, right. this isn't. These are never going to be professional productions, but we can approach, at least in our vision, that professional you know level. I'd say, Cody, have have you ever considered direction or video production as a career path? Because there's some visionary stuff that you utilize in in this video. Uh-huh. It's this is not just a casual pursuit, man. It's well crafted. Right.
1: Uh, no, <laughs> I can't <laughs> say that I have. No, now I've always been artistic, and and I've always uh, and and I can visualize things well, uh, and and lead that vision. You know, uh, uh, in my craft that I do for a living, I'm an electrician. They say. Uh, Come up with a plan, then work that plan, you know. And and that's kind of um, how I approached it. You know, if I, if I saw what I wanted to do, you know, and I worked it, I worked that plan. And it's, it's easy to get distracted or give up as time goes on to not work that plan, you know, that you've come up with. But uh, I didn't want to sell myself short, I guess, if you will. And I guess that's why it ran 53 minutes long.
0: <laughs> well, it was a packed 53 uh, minutes. Oh yeah, I mean, you've got pa- a lot of locations, a lot of characters, a lot of events, and then a stunning action sequence out at sea, which was genuinely gripping. You know, there was action mm-hmm. above the water, you know, on the deck of the moray. There was a lot of action below the water. It was well-conceived, man. I I was at the edge of my seat that whole time, because... With these fan productions, there are no rules. We could kill characters off. No one has that kind of plot armor that you come to expect in professional G.I. Joe media.
2: Right. Yeah, there's a reason why there aren't too many movies underwater. They're really (laughs) hard to do. They're really (laughs) challenging. And you went at it full force. And um, I love that shot of Torpedo where his eyes are just kind of uh, coming up over the water. And then he's on top of the shark and it's like, oh, curtains. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Random viper. It
0: reminded me of Back to the Future 2 when, uh, Marty jumps off the edge of the sort of the, 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 the tower and Biff's like, oh, well, <laughs> saves me a bullet. <laughs> and then the DeLorean kind of hovers into view and Marty's like, yeah. <laughs> How did you do? I mean, you, you, you supplanted a lot of location work with stills and seamless, I suppose, what is it, green screen, blue screen? I don't know any of these techniques, Cody. And yet you managed to right. get Joes marching through the jungle, Cobras in a control nerve center, and then a whole battle at sea. And that also inside the aircraft
2: carrier. I mean, there's, there's bunks, and then they're in the kitchen, and they're in the control room. All kinds of uh, the
0: perspective work all sells. It it all works yeah. out perfectly. Like what were the challenges? I mean, talk us through your process.
1: Well, I wanted to when I talk about I I felt like blood in the water was just the the, the, the tip of the needle of of what was out there. I wanted to to make the world feel like big. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted the viewer to see the the full enterprise of. Uh, both parties of, of Joe and, and Cobra, and uh, so I set out to create <laughs> those those worlds. You know, um, part of the inspiration for the, the Cobra layer, of course, was the the Blazing Sand series. With with when we first saw the official GI Joeberg introduction of Cobra Commander in that underground cave type. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Facility, you know, and then I, I thought, man, you know, that's, uh, that is pretty rad, and, I, you know, I just wanted, I wanted to, uh, to kind of expand on that idea, you know, there had to be a control layer in there, in that room, and then, mm-hmm. you know, there has to be Marie and and guards and and and, and all of that stuff,
0: and some cheeky dreadnoks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's
2: exactly what I was thinking. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I love that little silly banter. I mean, it just, it, as far as the whole story goes, I mean, they could come back, but we don't know. But as the whole story, it you know, that banter back and forth between the two dreadnoughts and Zanzibar and and that random guard trooper, it doesn't fit into the whole story. But man, it was so good just to still see and hear just kind of like, these guys don't like each other, but they still have to work together. And it just it just adds another element of dimension to the mm. whole piece.
0: Those throwaway it, no, lines really—that's yeah. that's where character exists. It's lines exactly. that aren't required for the plot to progress. It's just like, mm-hmm. "You never told me you had a sister." <laughs> <laughs> Amazing shipwreck <laughs> nailed him in one
1: line. Yep. Yeah, that was his first thought. That was his—that's uh, what came to mind when you heard uh, about Ripcord going to be an uncle. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's
0: it's so wrong in so many levels. I mean, why is Shipwreck trying to make a play for A, Ripcord's sister, B, I'm sure there's, there must be a fella in the picture already, and C, mm-hmm. a, a, a recently pregnant woman? <laughs> you know, like,
2: Shipwreck just, he don't care, man. <laughs> He a dog. And maybe and maybe he likes a challenge. I don't Salty know. Salty
0: sea dog. <laughs> Jeez. Well, yeah, he's probably gotten enough flack from trying to steal everyone else's girlfriends like Scarlet and Lady J. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. He's, he's an old scurvy pirate, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if he he, were he, Barbara, he he and Zanzibar would be best friends. <laughs> you totally. You don't lose your girlfriend. You just lose your turn.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Totally, something about uh, shipwreck. Of course, you know he's he's Jack Nicholson, you know. But uh, Spirit to me is funny, is what how I picture Spirit being is funny, and it reminds me of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't know if he, if you've seen that film, that Jack Nicholson film where he's in the uh, mental hospital, and he's got the big Indian friend, you know.
0: You know, I've I've been dying to see it, but I can't seem to find it on any kind of legal means. I guess I'll have to resort to being a pirate myself.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's not the kind of thing that you typically find on Netflix or... uh, Here in Australia, they've got a uh, a service called Stan, but uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, as a classic, I've yet to find it. I guess because it is quite quite racy, isn't it? Um,
1: Probably so. Yeah, there's some lines in there that are... uh, Uh... You wouldn't want your kids to hear it on Netflix, you know, but they're total shipwreck
2: lines. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of a uh, spirit, I love yes. the, the scene when they're on the helicopter and about to jump in. And that's another one, like where Stephen was talking about, character is is developed there. And they're all having this conversation. They all, if I remember correctly, they asked Ripcord, or, or was it the other guy, have you ever done this before? And you're like, nope. And they're just kind of like, but here we go. Some were all about it. Others were like, I don't like this. And I, I love Spirit's line where it's just like, knowing is half the battle. And what's the other half? Not knowing. Not knowing. <laughs> that, was, yeah, that, was that was Yeah, that was Yeah, that was awesome.
0: What was Spirit's line before he jumps off the dragonfly into the water?
2: Oh, I'd rather,
0: I would be, rather a be a bird, bird than a I'd fish. I'd rather be a, a bird. Fish. Oh, man. But rather be a bird than a fish. Yeah. Great. Some philosophical stuff. And nice that there's a distinction between our two Native Americans in that Airborne's very much less, uh, esoteric. <laughs> He's very much more, uh, you know, business at hand, whereas Spirit is right. always
2: waxing philosophical. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. And I guess since we're talking about character, you, you did all the voices for everybody, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And that is that is very hard <laughs> from personal experience. And I think you did a phenomenal job of just altering your voice enough to know that, like, oh, well, that's not that guy talking. That's somebody else talking. And it was through accents. It was through uh, intention. It was through, like, vocal tonality. I mean, every everything. I mean, you know, it was easy to tell, like, oh, okay, this is this character, and then that's that character.
0: Yeah, so, I think the biggest right. danger is always – being worried that, that there's going to be some kind of visual confusion because mm-hmm. it's the same mm-hmm. instrument making all the voices, the same, right. same physical instrument. Obviously, the, the tonalities and the, the, the timbre will be the same, but I never felt for one second confused as to who was speaking. So another credit <laughs> to you, Cody. Bravo, man. Stephen, how many how many voices do you think you could do? <laughs> Look, the problem is not so much with the the more characteristic voices. Mm -hmm. The problem comes in the more general North American accent. You know, Hawk Mm -hmm. will start sounding very much like Mainframe, will start sounding very much like Duke. You know, like, that's my big problem. Like, when it comes to caricature voices like Shipwreck, Barbecue, I mean, I could do those all day, man. Cobra Commander... Anyone who has a signature vocal style, you can set them apart. The problem comes in that massive group in the middle, which are just like mm-hmm. the Joes, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I imagine the same. you feel the same way, Troy. Like, that's where you start finding difficulty in differentiating. Whereas the very broad, like, like going Australian for Major Blood, for instance, would be
2: very distinct. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Crazy Legs has such a unique accent.
0: True, yeah. It seems uh, Hispanic to me, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely doesn't sound like Falcon, so mission accomplished.
2: Yes, I think you mm. mentioned Hispanic, and I kind of ran with it for the second, one, second episode, so I kind of like leaned into it a little more. I wonder but...
0: if anyone else made that observation, or if it was just me. I guess you hear what you what you hear. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like we're all our ears are all trained slightly differently.
1: You know, I think part of that is um <clears throat> that that gray area. You know, um I didn't really have any reference vocally to uh to base Rakondo off of um and and you know we had we had General Hawk on the on the cartoons you know the I'm am not, not sure the actor's name who did did the voice for General Hawk and and I tried loosely to mimic that but I I think it's just it's really how you go about selling the character if you will and it, and if it's sellable and and believable whether uh, or not if you if you if you're hitting the mark on on, on trying to mimic a sound or a voice or not I, I think it still comes across as uh, as believable as, you know, uh, you know, you can distinguish your voice just enough uh, between between characters. But if it's if it's uh, if it's sellable, I don't know if if you create that that narrative
0: also cutting back and forth from one figure to the next kind of helps, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Yes, so g- give, give the audience a little visual cue. Uh, this person is speaking because the camera's on him. I mean, it also, <laughs> right. like the fact that our subjects are immovable pieces of plastic, well, immovable faces, I should say. I mean, the rest of them is articulated, but we can't exactly get any lip flaps to give away who the speaker is.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if I ever cast Beachhead, I'm definitely calling you Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Why is that? Does he sound yeah.
0: muffled naturally? That yeah. drawl of Cody's.
2: Absolutely. Are you speaking through a sock, Cody? <laughs> I remember that uh, scene in the uh, com- um, cartoon years ago where Mainframe and Beachhead are trapped in this uh, some kind of box. And they finally get it open and Mainframe says, Beachhead, I need to talk to you about your deodorant. Deodorant? I don't wear any deodorant. He's like, that's <sighs> what we need to talk about. <laughs>
0: You know, that line got referenced by Glenn and his boys. Oh, that's right, they did. They lifted right. that clip. It was terrific, man. Great, yep. great opportunity to throw those two characters together. I mean, Beachhead is not the kind of guy you want to be in a locked box with, and certainly not the kind of guy you want to be on a long road trip with. <laughs> Poor man, Fred. He always draws the short straw. <laughs> Cody, tell me, buddy. In terms of a chronology, I mean, we've got quite a wide span of of things that the secret machine touches on. And I'm sure it has internal continuity. By that, I mean it's got a second part, which we'll get onto in a moment, um, which will directly continue the events. But it seems to me like you've taken great care to integrate it into some kind of greater narrative. Uh so it touches on previous G.I. Joeberg play motions um from the past in various key places. The one that I'm most curious about is that we've got a major supporting character in a core figure, Tony Tanner. Yes. And I think while you were producing the Secret Machine, sort of in the thick of things and maybe in the planning phases, you you had some questions for me about what the fate of the core was. And I was like Right. I don't really know, man. They could pop up again. I mean, Whispering Willie definitely got away with with uh, a few toes intact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tony Tanner just looks like the kind of guy you'd encounter in the jungle. In fact, when I was a child and playing out uh, sort of Predator-style games with my Joes, he was invariably on the team. A lot of people cast G.I. Joes right. as their, their kind of Predator Dutch uh, rescue team. Me, I like to mix it up with a few members of the core. But do you imagine this takes place after or before graduation day?
1: I would have to think that this uh, totally takes place before. But I, w- I was in my head, I, and I had spoken to you before about the how you chronologize y- your videos. And to me, it made sense, you know, graduation day – and is that the first video? Is that how, <laughs> you know, all right, it's graduation day. Now you're a Joe. Now let's do some Atlantis factory, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, and, you, you know, and now you, you had said, well, it fits here and here and here. But, yeah, I, I would say this. If Blood in the Water is the first video uh, in chronological G.I. Joe because <laughs> that is that is important to me. The the I, you know I want to put a label. I want to I want to look at this broadly. Mm. You know, it's hard for me to uh, like it's a uh, it's it's one big narrative. You know. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, you're a meticulous man. You like things to make sense. You like the continuity to stitch together properly. And I. I appreciate that, and I'm sure the
2: viewers do as well. I agree. Yeah. I'll speak for the viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think but, Stephen, you and I.
1: Speaking had, of. Had, oh, go ahead, Cody. Oh, Tony Tanner, in the in the core. You know, uh, um, there there is speak. You know, he, Tony Tanner. I hadn't seen you since. January twenty fifth, nineteen eighty. You know, there was a line from Stalker in the uh, in the video. Mm. I, I kind of feel like uh, that the OG thirteen and the in the eighty four guys are just uh, <clears throat> they're older. They you know they have to be maybe in their late thirties, early forties. I would say they're uh, a good majority of them or Vietnam War veterans. You know. And so before they were on the G.I. Joe team, you know, they had a an active military career and life before that. And and those core guys, you know, they had to run around in the same circle. You know, they had to know these guys and, and who they were. And this is just in my, my G.I. Joe world. And, and the, I thought, wow, why not incorporate that to a degree? And it just adds an, an extra element to the story, you know. Showing that relationship of, hey, you, you're, uh, we were on, you know, we know each other and, and we at one time were, were buddies, but now we're on opposing sides, you know, which speaks broadly on, uh, the, the two lines themselves, if you, if, if you will, the, the GI Joe and the core toy lines, you know,
0: mm. uh,
1: Hence the lines of mistrust <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: uh early on in the video, really? the yeah. flashback to Ricondo's mission and the fact that he started out with Duke and Snake Eyes. But Duke and Snake Eyes hung back to keep an eye on the international peacekeepers. Or What what, what did you call the core? International heroes?
1: The Interna- International Security Force, which was – That's it, yeah. The- when they first debuted, and I think it was 86 when they come out, they were the core international security force. Oh, were they? It was the, it was the, yeah, it was the headline under the under the card, you know. So that's where that came from.
0: Cool. Yeah, I think I must have uh, caught him a little bit later. But, I mean, historians would probably correct us and say that the initial core uh, name. Yeah, exactly, Gung Ho, and then that was a... Uh, a losing lawsuit against Hasbro, who obviously had Gung Ho trademarked, or, or if not trademarked, in fact, they probably were able to assert some kind of claim because Gung Ho was a major GI Joe character at that stage. Totally interesting times.
1: Interesting, t- and you know that to get off on the core a little bit, that uh, those first few waves where they they had kind of a, a standard camouflage. Where uh, like that Tony Tanner who's in the video, but there's a uh, Hammer and uh, their their names escape me. Fox, there's, there's three. Fox, yes.
0: Large Sarge.
1: <laughs> Large Sarge. <laughs> it's
0: all coming back to me now.
1: Yes, the uh, the African the the Flame uh, I can't think of his name.
0: Uh, junkyard. But they all share. Or...
1: Junkyard and there's one other. But they all share a common camouflage color scheme that is incredible, and mm. I, I love those guys. I think they're pretty rad, but Tony Tanner uh, I don't know I think he may have met his end at the uh, whew, at the end of a rifle from Ricondo.
0: <laughs> yeah, brutal man. We do have a death toll. In the secret machine, for sure. (laughs) And not counting Cobra operatives, I mean, it it goes both ways. I think it's time we got into some of the techniques used on the secret machine. And since I am a technical, a technophobe, I should say, uh, I'm going to
2: let you lead on this section, Troy. I don't see you as a technophobe, but I'll (laughs) I'll gladly uh, step up and (laughs) jump in.
1: It's time, Stevo. While you're in quarantine in beautiful Australia, you need to do some green screening. <laughs> it's
0: been suggested to me by a few commenters on on videos, and I've kind of stubbornly resisted, been like, no, ain't no school like the old school. <laughs> but uh, you've definitely shown me how it can be done and done well, Cody.
2: I remember doing green screen when I was in college back in 99. And um, mm, it is so tough to green screen plastic, shiny, blue, and green figures because the most common color is like, okay, you need a green background or a blue background. And it's like, you can't use either one because all the figures have green and blue in them. <laughs> you can get away with some figures and others. It's super, super hard to do. So I'm very curious on you know what you were using and how you are using it, what software, and uh, all the tech talk, all the geek stuff.
1: <laughs> uh, well, i tell you out of necessity to... Create this story. Uh, I live in North Georgia, so going to Seychelles was uh, in Tanzania was, of course, out of the question. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to you want to try that word one more time?
0: The <laughs> Seychelles. <laughs> C- uh, I, I suppose it, I, you know it might be a valid pronunciation where you're from, but I'm more, more accustomed to it being called the Seychelles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, basing this off a of map. <laughs>
0: no, you know what? It was Larry Homer who was quoted as saying, don't ever make fun of someone's pronunciation. It means that they learned to speak a language through
1: reading. So right, that, that's funny. That's just that's just how I pronounced it. So it was say Chels.
0: The Seychelles is how I've been saying it. Uh, and, and I have Seychelles. been there once upon a time. But, uh, oh. I, like I say, man, who made up these rules anyway? I, I hey, accept
1: man. Seychelles! Seychelles, yeah. <laughs> Seychelles, that's wrong. Stephen, you're wrong.
0: Yes, I hang my All head right. in shame. So, <laughs> on with the story.
1: Yes, onward. After you've insulted me. No. <laughs>
2: I'm so uncultured, I've never even heard of
0: it. <laughs> it's off the coast of Africa, uh, it's okay. on, the, on the East Coast. Yeah.
2: Okay. And so, now I know. There you go.
1: And <laughs> not knowing is the other half. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Classic>. <laughs> uh, what were we even talking about? Uh, oh, green screening. Green screening. Okay. Green screening. <laughs> So that was something that was kind of foreign to me, and I thought, man, you know, there's got to be an app for this. And so I went to Google Play and yada yada yada. I tried a couple of different apps. In our kitchen and in, in in my home is kind of a uh, a brighter green color, and and through just plain t-shirts I have, I have green, uh, several green shirts, and. You know, just finding corny little backgrounds and, and images and and this and that. I would, uh, I was able to start uh, green screening. You know, just through the app. It's uh, there's several out there, and it's simple to do. One figure that's fun to green screen with is Fi because he's so uh, he is so neon green. So you can, uh, you know, if you uh, have an image of fire, you can make fi look like he is uh, burning. Uh, or, or something to that effect. Wow! But uh <laughs> yeah. yep. Yes, got gotta work that
0: in now, Cody. There's absolutely right. gotta be a sequence where sci-fi is on fire. Damn, man, poor guy.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> but, <laughs> Troy, you were talking about the the uh, challenge of of green figures and shiny plastic and green screen, and I, I tell you, my green screening process is very rudimentary. I had went to the Dollar General and picked up some green poster board and mm-hmm. like a cardboard fold out, like kids do projects on, you know, like um, a science fair project, uh, a, a trifold cardboard section, maybe four foot by five foot. And I just plastered these green poster board pieces onto it. And there was my green screen. And uh, you know, there were double sided the, the actual paper itself. So one side is more glossy and the other side is more more matte finish. And I found that the matte finish worked well. The app was able to differentiate from the matte finish green paper to let's say the green colored camouflage on Stalker or or Airborne. Or somebody like that. So I, I ran into that problem some, uh, mainly with the um, where, where the the guys would fade into the background. But it wasn't so much so that it would derail me from uh, getting getting done what I what I wanted to get done.
0: Could it be that the tech has improved since you were in college, Troy? Is I it possible? <laughs>
1: no, no, not twenty years.
0: We <laughs> are. At an incredible precipice of technology, because Cody, if I'm understanding you correctly, you created the secret machine on your mobile phone.
1: Yes, I do. I I, I have a laptop, but I never utilized it for uh, the secret machine. Visual effects,
0: a layered soundtrack, a very densely layered soundtrack, a lot mm-hmm. of complex action, and a hell of a lot of footage. You know, I'm sure you had several hours worth of footage, and you managed to do it all on your phone.
1: (laughs) Yes, not not only that, my Walmart uh, straight talk cheap (laughs) cell phone.
0: (laughs) Cody, you're blowing my mind, buddy. Wow, wow, wow. We are at a very interesting time in history, and I think it's anybody's guess what the future of this little mini genre of home video making is but i'd like to think gentlemen that we are kind of pioneering a new way of playing and sharing our playtimes and sharing it with the world and like i certainly hope that it catches on because clearly the tools are ready
2: they're there
0: everyone with a phone in their back pocket, and that's pretty much all of us, <laughs> has the power to, to shoot these things and create them and share them with the world. Man, very exciting times.
2: We have no excuses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And, you, you know, there's on uh, the Jillberg Facebook page, there's always like, um, like Andrew Creech hosts these phenomenal uh, story photos. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. PhotoMaker is ch- another one. Yes. And I want to challenge those guys. You know, download some apps, shoot a little film, take your time, uh, record some voices, and and, and see what happens. Because we all benefit from it, I feel like. And I'd like to
0: extend uh, – I mean, if there's any way I can help out, facilitate such a process, say, for instance, if you know your confidence in shooting the material – but less confidence about voicing the characters. Put it out to the community. Put it out to me. Mm-hmm. And I will disseminate it amongst the people that that I know can be counted on to love to, to rise to the occasion. I mean, gents, I, I hope you can be counted in that number of people who totally. would love to help out in any, any way they can.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yes.
0: If you've shot something and you need it edited, that's what I do. <laughs> Bam! There you go. We've got a talent pool, a growing one. And uh, these productions can happen with more regularity, I think. The future yeah. is bright, boys.
2: And going back to like some of the other guys uh, on on the our Facebook group, Alpex do. I kind of every time I see one of his videos, it just kind of cracks me up. I mean, he's he's another one who's just kind of like you know, put the camera, character, few lines, something funny, something interesting, and. He's got this whole world he's building out and, and watching the chats when the, the secret machine was, was going live. It was Outback Stu. Where's Outback? Where's Outback? <laughs> Where's Outback? <laughs> yes. I feel yeah. like we need to do a, an Outback version or an Outback. Like G i Joeberg needs to put outback in something for Damn, outback Stew. he
0: has yet to make his debut, I guess yeah. mm-hmm. like it's tough to find a niche for him <laughs> with all this you know with Ricodo kind of hogging the spotlights, it's kind of taken outback's mo. But on the topic of Outback Stu's videos, it is so fascinating. just basically peering inside someone else's head cannon. and someone <laughs> who's really, really gone to town on one character in in, in particular. And Mm -hmm. multiple versions of that character. And just like, wow. The fourth wall breaking that kind of integrates Outback into our world. Like, for those of you who haven't uh, seen his videos, his shorts, or or aren't on the Facebook group, we're basically seeing the various versions of Outback and their adventures on top of Outback Stew's table. This is happening (laughs) in our world. Like, in a very Toy Story-esque kind of way. But it is gripping stuff. And as I say, like the headcanon is so fascinating. Outback is a fully fleshed out character in this man's head
2: mm-hmm.
0: to watch. <laughs> Mr. Cox, congratulations, man. You got a fan in us.
1: So Dustin Cordish as well has put some uh, pretty awesome videos out there. His latest was that uh, the Cobra Law, kind of an origin on Cobra uh, Law. Uh-huh. It's taking that first step, and if I go back and watch some of my very first uh, little projects, you know they're uh, they're rudimentary, uh, but but you gotta you gotta make that leap. <laughs> and I think the first thing, Stephen, uh, I, I don't know if you remember, uh, was uh, I was trying to get people to play along, and I did uh, Ripper walking down the wall, and uh, tried to get you know okay, film the next scene. And uh, shock mm. uh, shockwave shot him and killed him. Uh,
0: <laughs> How could I forget, man? Yeah. <laughs> so, there was a, there was a steady trickle of those for a time.
1: Yes, the one uh, with the uh, poncho played along quite a bit. Uh, where Course shoot fell open? There's been several of those, and and it's all in an, in an attempt really just to get somebody to take the bite and uh, and and see where we can. Uh, get a story to go together you know i get the
0: feeling that there are a lot of folks that are sitting on the fence and those threads on facebook which are more casual and less reliant on you know a lot of elbow grease when it comes to editing and tech and setups and backgrounds and prepping everything like those are the way the way forward and the way to get people more interested in in showing us their their play times. So, yeah, man, hats off to you for for trying to start that. I certainly bit a little bit, but I was like, man, okay, Pancho's really running with this, so let's let those boys play.
1: (laughs) Yes. And uh, they were fantastic. Agreed. Uh, I loved them. I would uh, kind of direct it, and, man, I would would toss a softball, and he would just hit that grand slam with his, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know. 10, 20 minute videos, you know, one right after another, you know, they were so fun and you know, maybe that's something I should do. I, I kind of, once I started this secret machine project, it kind of, uh, if I wasn't working on it and doing something like that, it was like, man, I'm just slowing this process down. You know, I got to keep my focus. Uh, and there were times that I thought, am I going to get this finished? Uh, luckily I did. It was such a relieving feeling to finally say, "All right, Steven, here we go. I've finished."
0: Oh yeah, putting it out into the world, man. So, Cody, how did it feel, dude, to finally say, uh, "Okay, I've tweaked this enough." Yes. Uh, I, you know, one one can continue to obsess over the the details and nitpicks and the edits and the music. Uh add infinitum and basically trap yourself and never ever let the, the work see light of day. But you made that decisive moment and bam you said it's in your hands now, Stephen.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: it feel good, right?
1: Yes it did. Uh it did. And you know, and and in releasing it there was some that caught uh an advanced screening. <laughs> 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 uh, yep. Indeed.
0: To fill anyone in on, on what Cody's talking about, uh, I give the keys to the castle to, uh, our, our contributors. So Troy and Cody have the login details for the G.I. Joeberg YouTube channel so they can upload directly and it doesn't have to go, you know, via me and then, then upload it to YouTube. But, uh, Cody, not being perhaps the most experienced YouTube publisher, <laughs> accidentally <laughs> made it public for I think all of about an hour. And in that time, yeah. there were something like 120 views. Wow.
1: Um, yeah. and I, I, I was panicked.
0: <laughs> so with absolutely zero promotion whatsoever and completely out of the blue at a random time, uh, 120 people got the advanced screening and, and left some comments, in fact. But when it came time to actually officially premiere it, I just want to make reference to the fact that I think at one time we had... Over 60 people watching the premiere, which I think, and I, I don't really t- t- weigh, hang much on the numbers, you know. You know, people, mm. th- th- hopefully this will always find its target market, however big or small that might be. The people who really love it will be watching it and applauding and commenting and loving it and rewatching it. But, uh, I think over six, 60 people in the premiere must be some kind of a, a G.I. Burg first. Awesome. Yeah. And they were yeah. the, the good kind of people, the commentators, the the active participants in all things Play Motion and G.I. Joe.
1: And that's what you want, you know. And you, you had you had texted me, uh, or messaged me rather, uh, you know, when I went great. And I thought, you know, uh, something about it, the secret machine itself, is there's a lot of fine details that can be overlooked. You really have to pay attention, especially uh, – the stalker and the the General Hawk scene, and, and I was worried that it was going to be too meticulous. You know, there's a there's a 20 minute scene of debrief with with General Hawk, <laughs> you know, uh, and I was worried that it was going to go over a lot of people's heads. And, uh, you know, I kind of surrendered that as, as long as people enjoyed it and will continue to enjoy it. That's really all that matters i
0: guess troy do you want to speak to that i think i might be too close to the project to to give an objective opinion but do you feel like uh details like that
2: ran on too long no i don't and i that i was i was thinking about that scene specifically and i was like like, i thought it was great because it is so much detail that the first time i watched it's like oh man there's a lot of stuff happening it made me feel like you know, you've got the top dog telling you something super, super, super secret that no one really knows. And you've got, you can't write down and take notes. you got to remember all this stuff. And it's a <laughs> lot of details. I was panicking for stalker because like, I don't remember all this. At least I can record it and go back to see it. And I, that just, to me, I just applaud your writing and just, I mean, it's all spelled out and very clear. And, it, the time just blew by. I, it didn't faze me at all, and I know exactly how you feel because I'm the same way. It's like, do these videos need to be action or can I have some story? And it's like that was We're, all, all, all perfect. Hmm. <laughs> I, that's thank
1: you. Filming a scene of uh, a guy taking over a Moray and shooting and killing people and that's fun. Mm-hmm. You know that, that's exciting. But two guys talking to each other. Uh-huh can be arguous you know uh, draining especially with the secret machine i wanted to make sure that i spelled out clearly uh, it's kind of uh, like an origin story movie you know where mm-hmm. you have to sit through the whole process of uh oh, okay this is them before now they have powers and now they're learning how to use them you know you really just want to get to the action you know, but those scenes are so necessary when when building a, a character and, and building a story. And the secret machine is is kind of like that. It's that that building, that uh, laying the groundwork for things to come, I guess.
0: Yeah, a, a twenty minute briefing is earned when you are bookending with so much activity, mm-hmm. various characters, location changes. Intrigue. I mean, yeah. Ricondo, he has a very close brushing with death. He's absolutely shell-shocked. There's some intrigue with Gung Ho, you know, mm-hmm. that that gets interrupted. I mean, Doc's about to check him out, and then, bam, no, sorry, Doc has to report to the, the flight deck immediately because they've got a, a wounded man coming in. Like, there are a lot of unresolved questions, and so to have a more sedate scene between two characters where all the answers seem to be present... Is I think uh, it's an important change of pace for the viewer. So yes, I know I'm not objective at all, but <laughs> I think it works.
2: And the the details of of having the map really helped a lot too, because mm-hmm. I can follow around and it's like oh okay we're going on the mission. All right, I'll take I'm I'm going on the northern route. I know where I'm at, and it just it but, gives kind of like you can feel like you're there and you've got a much much better understanding of like what this layer is all about and. Who's where and like, okay, I could visualize on the map, like, okay, Rakondo was running through here at this point, and you know, it all made perfect sense. The rattler came from there. It's tying all the knots yeah, together. Troy?
0: Cody even told us where we were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where,
2: where we were when we shot our segments on
0: on <laughs> Blood in the Water. Hey, yeah. And,
2: and I didn't even know. <laughs> hey now you know. <laughs> and knowing half the battle. <laughs> and the other half is? Not knowing. Not- <laughs> Yes, You didn't
1: know, Steve. You were Indeed. on a video. <laughs> yes.
0: Damn, man. In the Seychelles?
1: Crazy. Some great beaches. <laughs> no, Steve. Seychelles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ.
2: Can we uh, circle back to a couple things that yes. <laughs> we can kind of already talked about, uh, the whole world building and how you were trying to put it in like, OK, this takes place before graduation day and, and blazing sand. And then we've got blood in the water. But there's another one that we're talking about that's Kozlov, the return of Kozlov. Yes. So this- that was so cool to see. And he's he's kind of become his own character, this random eel guy that uh, Stephen named so We ran with it. Well, this would be chronologically
1: the first time you've seen Kozlov. Mm-hmm. If, if Blazing Sand happens after Blood in the Water and the Secret Machine is after the Blazing Sand Blazing series. Sand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Secret Machine happens before Blazing Sand, correct? If Blood in the Water happens before Blazing Sand, then yep. that would mean.
2: <laughs> yeah. you got yeah. it
0: so this would be his debut Excellent. Yeah,
2: this would be his debut yes And his origin so. story
0: yes oh boys I had great plans for old Kozlov had there been more snow in China last year mm. <laughs> I went to China with a suitcase full of snow toys and the sequence that uh, was in Cold Fire was the sum total of what I was able to shoot I had one snow day about two and a half hours worth of footage only after mm. six months in China, <sighs> largely spread over their winter time. So yeah, man, I hate sometimes you just can't plan for those sort of things. I guess I should learn from Cody and, and green screen more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other, the other movie I did, uh, polar panic. Mm.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, was half green screen because the snow melted here in Georgia. You know, I started filming this little snow thing and the snow melted and I had to green screen the rest. Yep.
0: Basically, what I'm trying to say is I had great plans for Kozlov. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had joined the Snow Serpent Corps because, I mean, they are eels after all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a, a, a focus on him specifically. But, man, like I say. Uh, The weather just did not come to the party, and my green-screen skills were not up to snuff. (laughs) But uh, maybe that's about to change.
2: Yes. Just keep in your pocket. (laughs) No. (laughs) Another thing that I really liked, uh, Gung Ho in his marine dress blues. I loved that because when I was getting ready to do clairvoyance, I was like, I knew I wanted to vacation, but which Joe was it going to be? And gung-ho was going to be one of the choices. And right. at the last moment, I decided to go with Falcon because of uh, that episode was kind of uh, modeled after Flint's vacation, the old cartoon. And I just like the Green Beret. So I was like, all right. And, and Falcon's pretty much my favorite character. And I, I went that way. But I was like, the green dress blue, that would be something he would wear, you know, on vacation. And so I didn't use it. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know. Because that, that toy is so interesting because he's not ready for battle, but he's so important, and it's such a fine toy. I really respect and like that toy, and I'm so glad that you used it. And when I saw him coming in, I was like, yes, I was applauding and cheering. <laughs> so kudos. Thank you. Well, thank you.
1: You know, I had it. That, that is my childhood, Gung-Ho. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first Gung-Ho, too. Man, It was just hard to put him on the battlefield. You know, Mm -hmm. when you were kid, to find that spot to where that outfit was appropriate, you know. So I kind of wanted to to show some love for him, and and if he's on the flag, why not walk around in his dress blues, you know? Mm -hmm. And kind of, I kind of feel the same way about uh, Torpedo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was as, as far as showing a love to a character, you know, I feel like Torpedo is kind of overlooked by let's say wet suit and, and, and deep six and, and those that came after him. So I just wanted to kind of shine some light on him, uh in the in the water sequence. You know? Let him kill some people and uh and show what a badass he was. Oof,
0: and then take a hit, man. Yeah. Damn, that was a fantastic sequence with the, the, the spear going through the water and then hitting torpedo. It was breathtaking.
2: Yeah, I was feeling bad for him, <laughs> real bad. It, but Stephen, you chose between wetsuit and torpedo in your episode. You know, someone's gonna get knifed. Who's it gonna be? What is it with underwater action and like sharp objects? Yes.
0: Oh man, it's yeah, it's nail biting stuff. But yes, of course, wetsuit took the hit on 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 Marvid.
2: Well, I guess it's torpedo's turn. <laughs> Big
0: time. Damn.
2: Cool. And speaking of like giving love to characters who don't get a lot of love, Deep Six is another one as a kid, you know, the play feature is cool in water, but other than that, I was like, Why couldn't they make his knees bend or his arms bend at least? And I just hated him as a toy, as a character. But, you know, the way you used him, I was like, perfect. It's it's great. You know, it's like you, you gave love where love needed to go. So kudos. Good job on that one also. Uh,
1: yeah. the uh, Thank you. Trying to present him speaking to Hulk was was a challenge because he lays face down in the shark, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I thought, man, how can this uh, – uh, how can I make this happen, you know? So I, I got my shark, and I took a picture of the controls that he looks at, you know, Mm -hmm. and I kind of pasted that as a sticker. You can kind of see the silhouette of the controls as if he's laying down. Uh, That was a hard thing to do.
0: Uh, It worked sublimely, man. Anyone who's familiar with the Marvel movies is familiar with that convention. You know, it's very much like when Tony Stark is in the Iron Man armor and you've seen sort of displays Mm -hmm. around his head. Perfect.
1: Then he beat an eel to death. <laughs> <laughs> Bludgeoned with his Damn. fist, yes.
0: I assume that wasn't Kozlov then. <laughs> no, I hope not. There were one uh, or two theories that uh, that he was deployed on that mission, but yeah, hopefully he, he didn't meet a sticky end there. And it, it he couldn't have, because if this does form direct continuity with Blazing Sand Part 5, it's a different eel. Yeah, He's still alive? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunate eel.
1: <laughs> and he and he stole their uh, he stole their sled.
0: Do you think it was commonly held that the Hydra sled was an underwater vehicle?
1: See, I don't know because I always thought it was. But when you <laughs> watch the commercial, the okay. the actual toy commercial, they don't really treat it that way. It's like Doctor Mindbender is riding it like a almost like a surfboard.
0: <laughs> yeah, bodyboard.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just assumed it could go underwater.
0: Sure. It definitely is evocative of those like James Bond-esque underwater contraptions that you sort of have a bunch of frogmen hanging off of. So yeah, I'm I'm with you there, buddy. And I think that opens it up to a whole lot more play possibilities than being a surface craft, because as a surface craft, it's pretty underwhelming. But as a stealth, (laughs) you know, diver, insertion vehicle, yeah, man, perfect yeah
1: it kind of harkens back to the uh nineteen sixty four g i Joe's they had something very similar the the original twelve inch guys you know they had an underwater sea sled as well so I guess based off that i just i never it never crossed my mind that it couldn't be an underwater vehicle.
0: I tell you why a lot of people might have thought otherwise, and that's because have you ever tried to submerge it? yes it will typically always bob to the surface so it's naturally buoyant i think it traps air in all the right places and and will typically come back up to the surface it will not kind of stay down for very long unfortunately
1: i love those smaller vehicles like that um, yeah. and and there's there's something about the sea sled in particular it's it's, it's rad uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, it's got two missiles on it, uh, know, big missiles. You yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. This uh... could
2: sink a, a a whale big time. <laughs> you know, now that now that we're talking about this and thinking about it, the gun on the front is kind of like harpoonish, so mm-hmm. harpoons would be definitely an underwater weapon. So I think that I think that might be a, a very big clue that yeah, it should go underwater.
0: Indeed. I mean, and the fact that it's a re-sculpt, or not a resculpt, a sort of an upsizing of the eel harpoon gun. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's it bears the same sculpt. Just hmm. I think twice it's in it's enlarged slightly. And yeah. oh man, I, I realize I just said um that the the torpedoes on on the uh Hydra sled could take out a whale, but I don't think a hovercraft is susceptible to torpedoes, is it?
2: If it's floating.
0: <laughs> well, if it's hovering, it, yeah. it pro- the to- torpedoes will probably pass harmlessly underneath it. So, anyone above, about to jump down my throat on a technical point, please don't. Uh, <laughs> I I withdraw my point.
1: <laughs> How about the first celebrity cameo in any GI Joe Berg play motion film? What you don't count, Sergeant Slaughter?
2: Oh, well. Damn son, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah in terms okay. of
0: in terms of action stars, you don't get bigger than the Schwarzenegger.
2: Yeah, that was pretty cool. A
0: lot,
2: a lot of people in the comments were like, okay, where'd he come from? Where'd that character? Where'd you get him?
0: Oh, such a cool way to close down the the episode. So good. Just begs many questions. And then you had some crazy like. Visual effects slash, like, video distortion going on. Very Terminator esque. So, there's elements of Predator and Terminator. Uh, probably Commando as well. I mean, he, Arnie's just such a treasure trove of, like, 80s tropes. Mm-hmm. Action movie stuff. Ah, yeah, dude. Gives me goose flesh.
1: That, aside from Sergeant Slaughter, and then and, and they were talking about, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone at one point, they were gonna have Rocky Balboa. But I mean, if you were to take a celebrity from the 80s, from the golden golden era of G.I. Joe, it would have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, that one action star that you would want, uh, or at least I'm speaking personally, that you would want in your movie. And and I had always wanted uh an Arnold G.I. Joe growing up. And uh Road Pig version one was always my substitute you know if I wanted to play Terminator or commando but with the uh, advent of uh, 3d printing uh, there was a gentleman on uh, a Facebook group I'm in a ring warriors nation and he mm-hmm. had indeed and, and he had was selling these headcasts of, of different GI Joes was, uh, like a even the uh, the the, tor- uh, the without a hat uh, is also shown in there. And I and I messaged Sky and I, I hit him up and he lived in the Philippines and I paid a little bit of money and now I have uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger head. A dream come true, you know.
0: Damn, man. He's from the Philippines?
1: I was in yes. Manila. Oh, <laughs> I was in Manila about a
0: month ago. Well, over a month ago now. But, yeah. geez, time has started to just blur into, into one. But yeah, damn! I, I could have picked up some firsthand.
2: I was curious about where you got the Ricando without the hat, also. So that now I know. Yes. It, now I know that answer.
1: Yes. Uh, there, I think in the uh plastic crack was the name of the guy's website on Facebook who sold the Arnold head. But Brian Holst also cast heads, and the hatless Ricondo is a. Matthew LeCroy uh sculpt and Brian Hulst sells the uh casts of them. I think and if you go on the website and and you hit them up uh, or or message him I think and I think they're like 5 dollars something like that. You can have a hatless raccoon, a recondo in a beret. Oh, excellence.
0: Yeah, man. As cool as the slouch hat is. It'd be nice to have mm-hmm. the options, and you certainly can't keep it on his head when he's actually in the infirmary, you know, right. under the knife, as it were, from Doc. Like, <laughs> why would he still be wearing his hat?
1: <laughs> you know, uh, he went. Ricando went through a lot. I mean, and and Troy, with your intro to Ricando, uh, he was hit with a missile. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve. You hit him with a missile and <laughs> blood <water pushed> him. <laughs> oh, Riconda. <laughs> Poor Riconda. Poor <laughs> Bullets just bounce off the man. He's Teflon. Indeed. And then it seemed like he went through a lot in the little montage I showed that what led up to him being on the stretcher on the secret machine. Uh, he kind of, uh, you know, I, I felt like, man, he's going to break. He's got, we, I have to show him breaking. And he punched Doc.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> mhm. You know things are wrong upstairs when you take out your aggressions on old Doc. I mean, he's uh-huh. the most affable GI Joe there is,
1: isn't he? <laughs> yes. That that scene was it's <laughs> kind of serious as it was. That was a pretty uh, exciting scene to film Ricando's mental breakdown. <laughs> gun whipping footloose and barbecue and uh, pointing a gun at General Hawk. It was it was uh <laughs> It was a pretty good time.
0: Yeah. A little bit of internal tension within the G.I. Joe camp, which, to be perfectly honest, not many of the the big boys in G.I. Joe media have have played with the idea that, like, Joes themselves can be at each other's throats. These are human beings as well, and they're dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of stuff. So, nice work, Cody. I'm going to jump a little bit further along our agenda, gents, and find uh, something that that Troy actually posted up very handily. Mm. During the live event, the premiere of The Secret Machine, we got a question in the thread, and I was hoping each of us could answer this, perhaps. The commenter wanted to know if anyone had done a Marvel storyline. Mm, Aaron. You know, something like a a one-to-one conversion of Larry Harmer or the other writers on the Marvel comic book into Playmotion format. And... We all said, no, we haven't. But maybe you guys want to go into detail as to why. Troy?
2: I haven't because I looked at a few of the comics and then there is so much stuff in the comics that I just didn't have or wasn't creative enough to figure out how to do. Because I, that's the first thing, place I wanted to start was like, oh, the comics are there. You've got your storyboard. You've got your story. It's all voicing and shooting and editing from there. But then as I to Kind of digging in, I was like, oh, there's a lot of, I can't really, how do I make that happen practically? And how do I, it became kind of tougher. And so I bailed from it. But after Aaron was talking and made that comment, I started thinking about what you did in Atlantis Factor 5 with the Sky Striker and the, the Rattler. That pretty much was very, very much like the comic book. Uh, and so I kind of think that you were almost there. <laughs> I, I would give you some points for it. You know, there's definitely heavy influence from the shots that you took. And who's in the who's in the planes? You know, it's the Baroness and um, Lady J. So, you know, I kind of think we I think as a whole you did, Stephen. I think that you kind of uh, brushed a, across it.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely a huge inspiration to this stuff.
2: Cody mm-hmm. how would
0: you how would you answer mr Mr Aaron's question?
1: The thought has crossed my mind one idea i was I was throwing around at one point was the silent castle because there would be no dialogue you know it would mm-hmm. just all be action and, and movement but I was uh or the silent issue rather
0: silent interlude. Yes, yeah, silent interlude. I'm sorry. <laughs> One of those. It's silent. <laughs> you guys know what we're talking about, right? It's issue 21.
1: But I, I ran into the same kind of uh, wall that Troy did. Was you know, uh, this was prior to 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 green screen and, and anything like that. And 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 also I was worried because they're so sacred. Uh, I thought, man, I, I don't want to to attempt this and not be able to do it justice really if you know if i'm if i'm trying to do a one-to-one conversion of the comic to uh to a play motion video uh so i'm just kind of st- stuck to my guns and and i also like to uh i, I know the, the the comics are there and <clears throat> a lot of people hold hold that as the the canon origins or, or the canon way that this has to happen but Part of the fun for me is just uh, creating my own story. And there you go. Running with that.
0: I feel precisely the same way. Uh, the comic books are canon to so many of us, so I've tried to never contradict them too heavily. Mm-hmm. But I think in this format, there is a terrific opportunity to cut a a new path, one that harmonizes both the cartoon elements and the comic book elements. So ramp up the seriousness of the stakes. Yes, there is death, there is violence, there is victory and loss, there is continuity because, of course, the the cartoon being a daily episodic cartoon, it never really deviated from a status quo. Like, by Mm -hmm. the end of the episode everything would be, all all the chess pieces would be reset to the same position and a new writer would be picking up the reins on the next day's episode. So... It doesn't have an overarching continuity that the comic book might have had. But the comic book was also weighed down by that continuity in that it was dealing with a core group of characters almost every single issue, and everyone else was just a bit player. Mm-hmm. The opportunity exists for us to create new stories that, as I say, don't directly contradict anything that's come before, but create intrigue and interest and expand upon characters that are or perhaps uh, lesser known and that would be my answer. It's just, why reinvent the wheel? Those comic books are so good. Mm-hmm. The Silent Issue is a masterwork. I mean, it it finds its way regularly into even non-Joe fans' top ten comics of all time. So, it's an almost impossible gold standard to, to recreate. Uh, ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's yeah. create something
2: new. Yep. The that is true. Those, all the comic book stories have been told, and, uh, but The Secret Machine has never been told until now. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. I'm
0: excited to see part two.
2: Yeah. Have you got a working title yet, Cody? A uh, Subversion
1: Conversion.
0: Hey! Nice. Poetic. I like it. Indeed. Strong titles are important.
1: Mm. There's a lot that has to happen, and there's a lot that could happen. You know, the guys are heading to the beach. Will they make it? Will the recon team meet this C one thirty? Will the C one thirty make it off the runway of the abandoned airfield over Aphidia? Who's gonna
0: find Recondo's bag?
1: Yeah. Who's find? And we saw Arnold there. Has it? Yes, uh, Cobra. I mean, you know, they hit Major Blood with a missile. He's in the water. Is he gone? I don't know. But I feel like if this was such important information, they wouldn't just leave it at that. I mean, they would have to come search just to make sure it was destroyed, just to make sure that microfilm isn't out there Mm. still.
0: Uh, And, of course, the biggest question of all, what is the secret machine? We've got a lot of questions, man. Mm-hmm. You've set it up very very nicely cody
1: right uh mm. what is the secret mission i mean
0: oh I'm not asking man I want to find out along with everyone else
1: <laughs> what is it i mean you see uh on that the uh the island there in and Seychelles yes <laughs> <laughs> Very
0: good. Though I like your one better. Anyway,
1: so in that in that the Cobra control room, all these televipers they're controlling something. You know, the the guy says I I want a uh, status update on module one, and 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 the televiper gives him the rundown. So there's there's something going on, and and even uh, even Destro his his line, uh, even the missteps of Major Blood didn't derail this operation everything's still going according to plan so I guess we will have to wait and see <laughs> what exactly this plan could be what is what is Cobra up to uh, and, and who is involved in this I mean is, is this uh, is this Fox and the Corps are they involved we don't know uh, there's a lot of questions to be asked.
0: It's very exciting for me to see someone take something that I'd kind of shelved and and mm-hmm. thought very little of continuing and then really running with it and and creating these conclusive answers, but also creating their own new questions and conclusive answers for those yeah, cody it's 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 perhaps a, the biggest thrill for me <laughs> while while this stuff is entertaining and wonderful for anyone who is a fan of these types of videos, I think. <laughs> they'd be hard-pressed to be bigger fans of it than than I am. It is wonderful to, to see, you know, maybe the seed planted all those many months or years ago by me been so taken up and very heartwarming and, and exciting to, to observe. So I thank uh, I was,
1: you, man. Uh, well, you're welcome. I, I was curious to what your take on it was. Had you put any thought into what happened or why was Rakondo in the jungle, you know? Uh, any prior story? I'm I'm curious. Any prior story to the the setup of Blood in the Water, or was it just I, kind of a spur of the moment thing?
0: It absolutely was. Uh, it was that you know, as I outlined at the beginning of the pod, like it was a case of pick your two least favorite figures, right, and. Because, you know, I, I, I struggled to sleep when there's too much uh, ambient light around. I think I was up at f- about 5am, because the, the tent was obviously bright as daylight in there. Mm-hmm. So I went to a dried-out, or not even dried-out, it was a little riverbed, and uh, just the action sequence kind of scripted itself, and it mm-hmm. started with a, a crashed uh, fang. And, of course, I didn't have any any tangible props to hand to make it the kind of... the uh, MacGuffin or the Deus Ex Machina, the, the thing that, that Riconda was trying to secure off that pilot. So, it wound up being microfilm. Hey! It's like a mm-hmm. 1980s, um, spy movie trope, wasn't it? Like everything's yes. recorded, recorded in microfilms and microdots So he finds it in this, um, this, his tank driver's boot. And then uh, sort of a cat and mouse game with major blood ensues. It really was as simple as that, kind of a one and done. And I think at the time I put it out to the world, like, what do you think happens from this point onwards? And guess who answered that call? Mr. Troy Smith and Mr. Cody Scalf. Is that how you pronounce your surname, Cody? I've never actually said it. it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Scalf.
0: Scalf. Yeah, you gents definitely came to the party. And I, I hesitate to add, maybe there are a few folks who are on the sidelines waiting to jump at that that opportunity as well. So, once again, I've got to make the, the clarion call. If there's anyone who is on the sidelines and just needs maybe a little bit of encouragement or some technical assistance in any department, we're the guys to call. Yes. And I think, I mean, should we do a round of closing remarks? I think we've... uh. We've definitely put a pin in this topic, man. Uh, and this is
2: anything you guys want to add. I have a ah. just a short, quick question for Cody. Excellent. The scene that Destro and Cobra Commander. Now that you yes. shot at the beach.
1: Yes, I did. I was on vacation.
2: Okay. Uh, there you go. So another hey. guy who takes his toys on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Rusted screws. Who gives a damn? Yeah. oh. Uh,
1: no. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I was in I was in Florida, as a matter of fact. At uh, <laughs> kind of a funny story. So we went to Disney World, and as a as a surprise to my daughter, we did a couple of days at, at the beach afterwards. And I can't think, I can't remember the name of this beach to save my life right now. But um, as we were there on the water, I was noticing, man, there 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 was nobody out in the water and so i googled the beach and uh it is the shark bite capital of the world <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh,
0: perfect for yeah. cobra installation amazing yeah.
1: <laughs> yes so there was a there was a good reason nobody was out swimming or nobody was out in the water but it set it up perfectly that i could have a long shot of, of destro and cobra commander Uh, on the ocean not interrupted by a jogger or somebody walking their dog or you know kids playing frisbee or something it was funny good time
2: i love a little behind the scenes chat (laughs) what a gym so that i guess we would classify that steven as a happy accident big time yeah you just
0: happen to be vacationing at the shark Bite capital of the world <laughs> <laughs> Cody it's a pretty unconventional vacation spot
1: if I do say so myself it was a good raid on the room I couldn't I couldn't pass it up <laughs> Since
0: I know I made the offer on your behalf, but if anyone wanted to contact you directly for assistance or advice or maybe just the inside scoop on our our latest projects, do you guys have any contact deeds that you don't mind sharing? Or should they just look you up on Facebook? Yeah, the Facebook.
2: You usually uh, peruse through the Joburg Facebook. Yep, Troy Smith, you'll find him there. The Mm -hmm. one and only.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think probably that would be the
2: best avenue,
1: would be the Joburg Facebook page.
0: Sure. Anyone who's not uh, a sucker for Zuckerberg <laughs> and uh, does not want to get onto those social media outlets, you can get hold of me and I will get hold of the fellas on your behalf by contacting a real South African hero at gmail.com. Awesome. Gents, it's been great chatting to you. I think uh, we've given the listeners uh, an audio treat, but also a great companion piece to these awesome webisodes. If anyone has still not seen, check out the YouTube channel. You can find Cody's work under The Secret Machine. And Troy's works are By Dawn's Early Light, Clairvoyance, Blood in the Water Prologue, and the most recent one, Can You See? Yep. Excellent. Gents, thank you so much. Troy, Hello. Cody, let's do this again sometime. Definitely. Let's do it.
1: What a good time. Mm-hmm.
0: All of the best with your forthcoming projects, gentlemen. All right. Thanks.
2: Save thanks, Deefs. Yo Jake Joe, Joe.